welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Those of us up here in big church, you want to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. And then we're also going to store, uh, while we're uh, turning, uh, girls, y'all got to run. Ms. Haley might be at the elevator. <laughs> so, well, you know, everybody runs. So, 1 John chapter 3, we're going to see verses 11 through 18, and then we're going to flip over in our Bibles, and we're going to look at the book of Genesis chapter 4, because the New Testament gives us the example of Cain killing Abel. So if we see that as an example, we need to look at it. So those are our two scripture passages this morning. 1 John chapter 3 verse 11 and Genesis chapter 4. So that's where we're going to be turning in God's word. Uh, before I get into this, I, I have to talk about it because I've been asked so much and goodness, uh, everywhere you turn, I mean if you go 10 miles down the road right here, 20,000 people are in the South Jesmond little town of Wilmore. And Wilmore only has a population of 2,000. Even the police department released a statement that they're trying to handle, they're bringing in state help to handle these crowds of folks that are in Wilmore uh, for a revival. And now they're at the point where there's so many folks in Wilmore, you don't even get near the building. You're just out on the lawn somewhere. Uh, the reports I was reading about is uh, people were getting saved in the coffee shop. I mean, they were uh, all five of their overflow venues are all overflowing with people. Uh, there's no hope of getting in the auditorium. Uh, it's, it's so, it has become so big. So then we really asked the question. I even saw a report like, this is one of the greatest revivals ever, a third great awakening. And we commend the Lord's, we want the Lord to move and in, in uh, absolutely have a revival. But remember, what is revival? Revival is when God changes you. When all of a sudden, a, a family, all of a sudden, maybe they don't go to church or they go to church once a month, they start going to church every Sunday. A couple, all of a sudden, God's not control their finances. They start to tithe. All of a sudden, a teenager, they start to put, they put down their phone, their iPad, and they start reading their Bible. It's personal renewal where God changes you. Revival's not based upon going somewhere and seeing. I mean, you know, God's Spirit moves everywhere. Even here in this, our wonderful sanctuary, absolutely, you experience revival at your house, here at the church, in Wilmore, wherever you're at you can experience revival. But I have to tell you, because we are students of God's Word, I'm going to tell you about the greatest revival in all of human history. I'm going to tell it in one minute. And the reason it's the greatest is because Jesus said so. In Matthew chapter 12, don't turn there, you, turn, you write down Scripture, you can look at it later. Chapter 12, verse 38. The Pharisees come to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, give us a sign. We want a sign. That's the world today. Everybody wants a sign. People are going to Wilmore for a sign. And he says, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. And in fact, the people of that... And then he goes on to explain. He says, the people in Nineveh repented and at, the, and at your judgment, those men of Nineveh, the men and women of Nineveh, will actually condemn you because they turned to the Lord and you didn't. So the sign that Jesus gave for a revival was Nineveh. So we don't need to turn to the book of Jonah, but let me refresh your memory on what happened. Nothing beats the revival at Nineveh. I mean, Jesus was talking about it a thousand years after it happened. 
Nineveh had 120,000 people. The whole, whole town got saved. Everybody turned to the Lord. The king put ashes on. The king turned to the Lord. Even the animals put on sackcloth. I mean, when your dog is getting saved, you know we are experiencing revival. And the Bible says that Nineveh was so lost, the people didn't know their right from their left. It even said, the last chapter, last verse of chapter 4 of Jonah says that animals didn't know their right from left. I mean, there was just wickedness all around. But because of Jonah's preaching, and remember he went there via a well, and he didn't even want to go, and then after the town repents, he's mad at God. And he was the most unusual of all the prophets. It's like he wanted the people to go to hell. He did not want them saved. But they all repented, the town of Nineveh. The animals repented, the king repented, and all the people repented, and they turned to the Lord. Nothing beats Nineveh. So when you want to read about a revival, you open up your Old Testament book of Jonah, and you will see a town turning to the Lord. And that is what we want here in the United States. We want it in our, our community here in Lexington. We certainly want it in Wilmore. And we want the revival fire to spread to all areas of our nation and to see churches changed, to see college campuses, to see high schools where you just see... And I don't, this is what a revival looks like in a church. Because I think a lot of us, we look to Washington. Washington is not going to be revival. You know, the whole, whole nation will experience revival except Washington, D.C. This is what revival... Revival looks like a youth group that has five or six teenagers. And all of a sudden, six months later, they have 45. That's revival. You know, a, a small little youth group, they started inviting their friends and sharing the gospel. And next thing you know, there's a lot of young people at the church. And you say, wow, God's really moving. Those bad folks are getting baptized. People are walking now, getting saved. Families are coming to church. That is a that is a real life 2023 revival in a local church, in a youth group, in a school, in a Bible study, a Sunday school class. That's what we want to experience, and that's our prayer as well. So that we pray for what's going on at Wilmore. I know many of you have already been there. It's unbelievable what's going on. The the attention that has occurred right here in our, down the street from our church. But we want to make it more practical for us and say this, it's personal change of turning to the Lord. Open your Bible, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So we see an example here of Cain. So we're going to look at this here in a little bit. We're going to see who, what happened with Cain. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him and the, the problem with murder there's a real fundamental problem human life comes or all actually all life all life comes from god he is a god of life he gives us our breath each day we wake up and we thank the lord for our life so when we take a life from someone we are removing what god has given that is why murder is so wrong murder is should be wrong and is wrong everywhere in the world it, it, you, thou shalt 
not kill. That is the sixth commandment. We do not kill people. And that's because you're taking the gift of life. It's the greatest gift that God has given to a person. This is how we, we have come to know love. So here's the second example. So the first example is Cain, what he did. The second example of love is Jesus. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The greatest act of love that we can ever do for someone else is actually to give our life for someone. Because you have, you have given something that is the greatest value you have. That's why Jesus dying on the cross for us is so powerful because you, it's, it's irreplaceable. You, you can't get your life back. Now, Jesus resurrected. He's the only one to ever do that. But when we die for our brothers or our sisters, and we, we lay our lives down out of love, we are showing to them, I love you. And that's what we see right here as the example. It's the opposite example of Cain. So, keep going here. Verse 17, this is the very practical way of doing this. And the Bible teaches us that we are to love people physically. There are physical needs that we need to help meet. All of us see it every day. But we're also to love people spiritually. If we only do physical, if you only go out and meet physical needs, you're, you're showing indifference because you're not sharing what's most valuable to them. Their greatest needs, actually, Jesus. They need to be saved. So that's why when we, when we do physical needs and you, meet, and you help people, you always want to make sure you are sharing and telling folks, here's why I'm doing this. Here's how you can be saved. Here's how the Lord can change your life. The other, the, the other problem with that is if we only go around if we only go around meeting um, one type of need, we're showing indifference. And then if we only meet, say, uh, give them a cup of water, we're not showing them their greatest need. So we have to make sure, am I meeting both of their needs? Or am I showing indifference? Or am I failing to see what's most important? So ministry involves physical and spiritual needs. And here's how it's illustrated here in verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? How can you sit here and say, I love Jesus, yet I fail to even help someone in need? And I want to tell you, it's so easy for us as Christians, for us to blame government, to blame political parties, to blame social problems, to blame the border crisis, to blame police department, whatever it is, you can just blame other people. And Jesus doesn't tell us to do that. He says, if there's a need, you go meet it. Complaining about things does not help. I coach upward basketball of fourth and fifth grade boys, and our team lost. You know, my, my team's going backwards. Kentucky Wildcats, they're experienced a revival. They're going up while my little team's going down right now. But when you're going down and you're a 10-year-old child, what do you do? You blame it on the refs. It's never your fault. All I heard about, yes, I had to get on as a boys. Quick, we're not complaining about the refs. This is a children's game. Like, that's not going to help you win if you get your calls right. 
And I think what happens is we are conditioned to do this. When something doesn't go our way, it's got to be someone else's fault. It can't be my fault. There's a reason there's homeless people here. There's a reason you're in this financial predicament. There's a reason this disaster is occurring. And I want to tell you, speaking about disasters, the greatest thing in our world today, I don't know if you're all aware of this, two weeks ago, an earthquake hit southern Turkey. 43,000 people have already died. That is a 99% Muslim country. That is a massive crisis. If you go and look at the images, it's horrific. There is Buildings have just gone. Whole towns gone. They just pancaked flat, buildings fell on themselves. And that is a human, and it's a difficult area to get into for, for rescue and efforts, especially the northern Syrian part. Americans aren't allowed there. Only the UN can go in and work. And we see this human need all around us. And folks, the Bible's telling us we have to show compassion. We have to meet these needs. Because if you don't, you're basically saying, yeah, I don't really care about my fellow man, even though he's suffering. One of the greatest ways for the Gospel to advance is through human suffering and crisis. Because I tell you, you go to Turkey right now, and you go and help people who are, who are, their loved ones are dying and they've lost everything, and you tell them about Jesus, I promise they will listen. Because they are open. They're seeing this man, this woman is willing to help. I want to hear what they have to say. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You help other folks. This should be a daily practice for our life. He says, goes on to say, how does God's love reside in Him? So he's implying it doesn't. Verse 18, last verse we're going to see here, the section of 1 John. Little children, that's what he's calling us. Let us not love in word or in speech. That means just going around sharing words, speaking only. But in action and in truth. And the action there is us showing compassion. The truth is Jesus saves. That's what he's saying. We want to be believers that are overflowing in love. Which, how, how does that look like? It's action and truth. That means Christ is calling you and I this morning to do something. We have a commission from the Lord that we take, our, we take this Bible and we put it into action. So if you know of a need, if you know of a lost person, someone who, who does not know, and I want to tell you, this, this revival going on down the road, do you know that will open the door for spiritual conversations? That's really what it does for you the most. When you go to class, when you go to school, you talk about it. Now knowing, you know, you might not ever get in the building anymore, but it will allow other conversations for you to share about, you know, real revivals when God changes your life. Sir, ma'am, has He changed your life? Have you experienced revival? Have you turned to the Lord? Tell the story of Nineveh. Tell them to read the book of Jonah. Jonah is the revival book. It's really only four chapters. Very short and somewhat bizarre. Most unique books in the Bible. And it's teaching us it is possible to see great movements of the Lord where entire towns, cities, and communities are changed for Jesus. It happened in Nineveh. Jesus says it's our sign. So if you want a sign, say, 
you're here this morning, say, I came to church. Dan, give me a sign. Say, you're in luck. Jesus says your sign is Nineveh. Go read the book of Jonah. Go see how Jonah preached. And he didn't want to preach. And the people repented. And the dog got saved. Everyone turned to the Lord. That is our sign today. Flip over in your Bible here to the book of Genesis. We need to turn here because this, this passage in 1 John talks about Cain. And you need to know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain is actually the first man born of a woman. Remember, Adam and Eve were formed by God. They came from the Lord. So Cain, the very first man who's ever born, he's the oldest son. He had a younger brother named Abel. What happened in chapter 3 was we saw the fall. We saw Adam and Eve sin, and they are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And the reason why is because they might take from the tree of life and live forever. Do you know we see that tree of life show up again in Revelation chapter 22? We lost it in the Garden of Eden, but it's coming back. The book of Revelation is actually a story about leading up to the end. And the end is heaven with the tree of life in the new Jerusalem. That's what the book of Revelation is about. Yet we have to go through all these things before we get there. But here we see this story. And we need to know this story because it's a story of an example for us. Because it teaches us a great amount about sin. We know Eve looked at the fruit, looked at what was on the tree, and listened to the talking serpent. And she wanted to be like God. That's what the serpent told her. says, you just eat from the fruit, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Like It's a good thing. So she did it. She gave it to Adam. And their eyes were opened. And our eyes have been opened ever since. And what that means, we're open to sin. Meaning, we have all of a sudden, we're open to, to the depravity of man. We see how wicked we are. At, and before that occurred, their eyes were not open. There was, there's a dark side to humanity that came all of a sudden with Adam and Eve. I follow the news as many as you do. And you probably saw the news this week. This new AI technology where basically these machines, these computer programs, they think for you. Because like, you can type in anything, it spits it out. But they're even showing there's a dark side to this AI technology that Microsoft has created. And, what, what, and if you're not careful, even the technology, it has been corrupted by sin. So the, the challenge with sin is it has affected everything. Technology isn't neutral. Technology is corrupted by sin. Nature has been corrupted. This is why we have earthquakes. This is why we experience death. We are experiencing the labor pains, as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 24, of sin. And it's all around us. There is nothing that's neutral. It has been impacted by what happened in Genesis chapter 3. So now we get to Genesis chapter 4. And and part of the Christian life, part of experiencing revival, is recognizing that you can yield and you can give in to sin. But there's a way to overcome it. And God teaches us that here with Cain. Look here in verse verse 1 of chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. This is the very first person born of a woman. The man was intimate, that's Adam, with his wife Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. So there he is, the first man, not created by God. 
She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. So they both had different jobs. One's a shepherd, he's taking care of the animals. And here we see Cain, he's working the ground. He's a farmer. So they each have their, uh, their, their roles. In the course of time, that means some decades maybe went by. So they're, they're living their life. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. So they're going to church. They're, going, they're meeting the Lord and saying, here's my offering. Cain, who's a farmer, he gives his, his grain, his crops. He says, Lord, here you go. Here is what I'm giving you. And Abel, verse 4, also presented an offering from the firstborn of his flock and their fat portion. So he took his best animals from his flocks and he presented the firstborn, the strongest. He gives the best to the Lord. He presented the fat portions. He gave it all. And this is, this is interesting here because we don't know why the Lord did this. It says here, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain in his offering. So God looks at these offerings and He says, Abel, I really accept your offering. You have given me your firstborn. You've given me the best of the flocks and the fat portions. And He looked at Cain's offering and He says, I, I don't have regard. Meaning, I don't have favor on your offering. So our offering we give to the Lord, it matters to God. These two boys, these brothers, are presenting their offerings to God and God shows favor to Abel, but not to Cain. And the Bible says, Cain, in verse 5, he became furious and looked despondent. He got mad. He became jealous. He became envious. Why did God accept my brother's offering, but not me? Folks, we do this all the time. You look, at, you look at someone. It might not be your brother or sister. You look at another Christian. And you say, why do they have a good marriage? Why do their children behave? Why do they have a nice home? Why does he get to keep his job? Why, does, why is she so skinny? Why is, does he have so much money? You just compare yourself to someone else. And all of a sudden, you get angry. And that's what Cain did here. He's mad. He said, Lord, why did you show favoritism towards, towards my brother? I gave you my grain. I'm a farmer. This is my best. Although the Bible does not say it was his best. He just gave an offering. Maybe he gave some dead, rotten tomatoes. Who knows what he gave? It says he gave his offering. But Abel gave the first, firstborn. And it says he's looking despondent, meaning he could not accept the Lord did not have favor. And you know, I know at this revival going on down the street here in Wilmore, you know, I've been reading all about it, but people who maybe in there another part of the United States, some of them you can see the jealousy and the anger saying, why, why, does, why does this school get to experience 20,000 people coming to their little town? I mean, the little town's shutting the gates. They can't even handle the crowds. It's so big. And folks over here saying, you know, that's a fake revival. That's not real. That's not true. And they, they start criticizing it from afar. That's what we're seeing. When something doesn't happen to you, 
and you feel like you were left out, we naturally become critical of it. And Cain's doing that. He feels like, I want the Holy Spirit. I want people saved. I want the church to grow. I want to see this happen in my life. And Cain's mad. And the Lord intervenes at this point. This is what I love about our Lord so much because He recognizes my, the very first man here, uh, born of a woman, uh, Cain, he's despondent. So in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Like, who, wh- what gives you this right to act this way? <coughs> why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? That implies Cain didn't do what was right. He did something wrong. I believe what he did wrong is he did not bring his best to the Lord. Or he did not, the Bible doesn't tell us why he did wrong. Or he had an attitude of begrudgingly gave an offering. He did not, for whatever reason, have the right heart when he gave. He appeared before the Lord and his heart was not right. <coughs> and God sees that. And he's saying, Listen, Cain, if you do what is right, I will show favor to you. There is no reason for you to be mad at your brother. No reason for you to be mad at the Lord. And then look at this verse. This this verse I'm about to read is so important for us understanding sin because God is explaining how we can overcome sin. And this applies for us today. This is the best explanation of sin in the entire Bible. And it's found right here and it comes from the Lord. He says, if you, but if you do not do what is right, meaning Cain, if you sin, sin is crouching at the door. Meaning, you're going to walk through a door. Have you ever had somebody surprise you? We have one family member in our house. They hide behind doors and you walk and they, they jump in front of you and say boo and try to surprise you. You know, it's very annoying, but you know, Sometimes that's what people do in your home. Maybe you have family members that love to scare people. Well, that, that is what's going on with the picture we see. There is sin, and you don't see it. It's like you walk through a door, and you don't know what's on the other side of that door, and it's right there. It's, about, it's like a burglar or a robber who's going to attack you, but you don't know he's there. You're not aware of it. He's telling us this. This is how we live today. Sin is always around us, crouching at the door. Meaning you're not going to get by it. So the Bible's telling us here how to live our life. We never achieve perfect spiritual maturity. There is always sin crouching at the door. And the reason it's crouching is hidden. It's not obvious. Cain doesn't realize the road he's going down. God's saying, Cain, you don't don't recognize what's happening. You have lost your temper. You have become furious. You're angry at me. You're angry at your brother. And you're going to do something that I promise you're going to regret. We never go and grow closer to God when we sin. Sin only leads us down. When Jonah was called to go preach, to the people of Nineveh experienced the greatest revival? Did he hop on a bus and go straight there? No. He jumped in the ocean and found himself in a great large fish. I believe it was a custom-made fish just for, just for Jonah. And he went down to the depths of the sea. He didn't go up. He had to go down for three days and three nights. 
And at that point, when you realize, here I am in the depths, but miraculously, God has kept me alive in the bottom of this well fish of the Mediterranean Sea. And at that point, he came to his senses. He repented and said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And he spit him out on land. And he went to Nineveh. And the greatest revival in history occurred. But he had to go down before it occurred. But it, God didn't, that was not the original plan going via a fish. And I think for us, Bible's telling us, if you want to grow closer to the Lord, you have to realize there is this sin that you walk through the door, you come to church, you go to work, you go to, you go to class tomorrow, and it's there. You open your phone, it's there. And he says, it desires, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Folks, that means it's alive. There is a desire with sin. Sin seeks to own you. This is not just some abstract thought out there. That means there is an evil force that is a living force that seeks to steal your life. That is what sin does. When people reject Jesus and they go to hell, they were taken there by a living force of sin that they could not break themselves. They couldn't rule over it. And only, this is why the cross is so powerful. This is why the song that David sang, written in red, the cross broke the power of sin. We only can rule over sin with the blood of Jesus. That is it. This, this verse here, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That means this is going to be an ongoing living darkness that is crouching at the door in every area of our life, even internally. And here, the, I want to tell you what's powerful about this. I bet Abel did not realize his brother was so mad. This is what's dangerous about sin. It's internal. It eats inside of you through bitterness, through anger, through rage, through jealousy, through envy, People are destroyed from within. And God sees it. He recognizes and He can read Cain's heart. Just like He can read my heart and your heart too. He knows our struggles. Cain never responds to the Lord at this point. He, he just listens to what God says and goes about. He doesn't argue. He just thinks, well, whatever. That's how many times people are are, are, are being convicted of the Holy Spirit. God is working in their life and they walk away. They don't respond. God calls us to respond. And here Cain does not respond. What he does do is he chooses to give in to sin. It says in verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. There's the first murder right there. Abel is dead. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? So we've lost Abel. This is the same question that God asked Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they sinned. They, God's looking around and says, where are you? Like, what, what happened? Adam and Eve, we used to meet at this location and you are not here. <coughs> Something is wrong. Cain goes to Abel and says, where is Abel? Like, where did he go? Because He's forcing Cain to answer the question. He's given, he wants Cain to give account for his sin. 
God's asking Adam and Eve, give an account for what you've done. This is the question we are actually asked when, when we're, if a lost person does not, has not been saved by the blood of Jesus, they will stand before God and God will ask this question. That is the question at judgment. What, what, where, where is this? If you kill somebody, where, where is this person? You, why did you say this dishonest lie? Just, it only takes one sin to go to hell. God asked one simple question. Where is Abel? Because Cain, you know where he's at. And what you did was wrong. Adam and Eve, where are you? Why aren't you in a meeting place anymore? You know what you did. You disobeyed the Lord, and it's wrong. God asks us a simple one little question at judgment. And there's no reason, there's no answer for it. The only answer is I've sinned, I've done wrong. And then because of that, you're going to hell. You're separated from God. That question there. The Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? And here's the lie. I don't know. Well, he did know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother? Is my responsibility my brother? And the answer to that question is actually in 1 John. That's why we see it in 1 John chapter 3. The Bible is saying you are your brother's keeper. You're, you have a responsibility to your fellow man. And then in verse 10, he says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out for you. Who do you think you're fooling? I can hear Abel in the ground calling. You buried him in the ground right there because I hear him crying out. And then Cain is, is cursed from this. He's the first murderer. And he is sent out to wander around aimlessly in the east. And he has a mark that's on him. Now the lineage of Cain has died out in the flood. There, the Bible traces the Cain's lineage. So there's no descendants left from Cain. Uh, Adam and Eve have a new child named Seth, and we come from Seth. That's where the world, world's population comes from. Jesus came from Seth as well. But wh what we see in this passage, I think so important for us, the Bible's teaching us that we are our brother's keeper. He asks that question, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. So how do we love? How do we have an overflowing love in truth and in action? We look at our brother. Folks, if we have family members that are not at church this morning and who do not know the Lord, we are, God holds us responsible. There's a responsibility that we have to accept that my family my loved ones, my mom and dad, I want what's best for them. Revival starts in your home. It begins with you thinking, my, 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 my children, my grandchildren, I need to be on my knees praying for them to know the Lord because I am my brother's keeper. That is why 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in just word or speech, but in action and in truth, meaning you go do something about it. Your action should be displaying that of Christ, and truth is God's Word and teaching people how to be saved. You come to church, and the ministry of Broadway Baptist Church is one of truth. It's teaching the Bible, teaching people how to know the Lord. That is truth. That is our message. And that's what God wants for us. So here we are this morning. You say, Dan, what does all this mean? We look at the example. And the Bible used the example of Cain. Cain had an opportunity not to do this. Sin was crouching at the door. It had a desire for him. 
He committed murder, and he lies about to God. It did not fool the Lord. We can never cover up our sin. Nothing is hidden from God. He knows our inmost thoughts. He knows what we do in the dark. He can read our heart. He can read our mind. He knows what we're looking at on our phone. He knows what we watch on the TV when no one's around. He knows us. And Christ is teaching us this morning that if you want, if you want to grow and know the Lord, you become, your brother's, you become your brother's keeper and you love others by truth and by action. So this morning I ask you, are you, are you taking this and you applying it in your life? If you are stagnant in your faith and you're saying, God, I want revival. I want to experience what's going on down at Wilmore. I want to have that same passion and excitement for the Lord that these folks down this highway right here have. And I think the Bible's teaching us, the Lord is teaching us, you, lo- you begin loving others in word and in truth. With action. You give someone your word, you do it. You tell someone scripture, you're teaching them truth. The Bible's calling us to meet physical needs and to also go around teaching other people how to be saved. Folks, that is revival. Revival for our city is going to look like when all the drug and addiction problems and the homelessness and the crime here in Lexington, it starts going down. Not up, but going down. Population is going up, but crime is going down. Churches are filling up. Teenagers and college students are coming to church. Personal evangelism is being practiced at work. All of a sudden, prayers are being prayed for family members who do not know the Lord. That is what the Bible is calling us to this morning. So we want to experience revival, and we do that with a love that overflows in action and in truth. God, I thank You for Your Word. Seal these words on our hearts. Lord, the example of Cain teaches us that we can overcome sin. It desires. It's alive. It rules all around us. But Lord, we have broken this because of what You did on the cross. The example of You dying on the cross is what we cling to. Jesus, I pray this invitation Lord, we should never be shy about responding. Lord, You call us to be faithful followers and disciples and those who are baptized believers who are boldly following You. Lord, if people can do it down the road, they can do it here. Lord, we we pray for the revival fire to spread all over our land. We pray for spiritual renewal or awakening to happen here in the United States. Jesus, I pray this invitation. It's something that we do because we're honoring You alone. God, we thank You for this powerful service that we come into Your presence and we pray we leave here changed by Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close our worship service here with an invitation. I want to invite everyone to stand up. I stand down front and you come make a decision. You can join Broadway Baptist Church at this time. You can come get saved. Come take my hand. Our deacons also stand down here with me. This is our time to respond. We're going to sing in our songbook, hymn number 249, Jesus Paid It All. Let's stand and sing together.